your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, August 26th. I'm Terry Aranga, joined by guests James Bowder and Cynthia McCluskey. Our topic, Insurance Legislation for Autism, Arizona House Bill 2847 and Pennsylvania House Bill 1150. Cynthia and Jim, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. First, let's clarify why we needed specific legislation for insurances related to autism. What is it about services for autism that might not be covered in average insurance policies? Well, uh, Terry, uh, across the country, uh, private insurance companies uh, typically exclude coverage for services for children with autism, uh, regardless of whether or not uh, the service sought is included in the policy. Uh, these are known as diagnostic exclusions. Uh, so, for example, if your insurance policy covers occupational therapy and speech therapy services, uh, those services might be excluded if, uh, if the patient has a, an autism diagnosis. Uh, so, so, so that's, that's uh, one way that uh, one barrier to access of services, uh, access to services that might be present in insurance policies. The other, uh, th- there are evidence-based there are services with a, with a very strong evidence base that are that are ordinarily excluded from insurance policies as well, such as applied behavior analysis therapy, which is, is as you know, a, a an approach with a well-established research base. Uh, now, there, there is real really no uh, clinical reason why these services are excluded. They, they typically they they simply are. Private insurance, and those states uh, allow this practice to take place. So, Jim, are you saying that, for example, if a child has an, say, an, ex- an educational diagnosis of autism, that they need to receive ABA through the public school system or special services through the public school system, that that same diagnosis might cause them to be excluded from other things that they need, like speech therapy from a medical provider? Well, that's right, and, and, and one, I think there, there's a, a lot of push and pull between uh, the education world and the, and the healthcare world when it comes to providing services to children with autism. And, uh, and an important thing to remember is that the goals of special education and the goals of healthcare are, are very different. The goal of special education is to afford a child with uh, some, some level of educational benefit supports and services to enable them to access the public school curriculum so that so they can learn. Uh, the goals of healthcare are to cure disease, relieve pain, and improve functioning. Uh, and there are different uh, clinical standards in place for, for care. Uh, so while, well, y- yes, to answer your question, uh, an autism diagnosis, a diagnosis that comes from a psychologist uh, from a, in a school setting or an independent evaluator, uh, could uh, 
impede a, a family's ability to access services uh, paid for by private insurance. Well, I'd like to, if I may, weigh in with a personal opinion here, and then I'd like to hear from Cynthia in that um, the com comorbidities associated with autism, uh, autism is a whole body condition, and there are some pieces that are intrinsic, like a lot of children have gastrointestinal pathology, and, and I would say that if you take care of the gastrointestinal pathology and the child's in less pain, that they will be able to learn better in an educational setting. And so these two are connected in the case of autism. Cynthia, would you like to weigh in on this question? I would love to. To be fair, I think insurance companies really didn't believe that autism was treatable, so therefore why cover it? Um, and so I think now that we know that it is treatable and with, you know, good ABA, 47% of the children can get better, they now have to step up to the plate and provide coverage where before I think they had a good excuse for not doing it. And one of the problems that we're having in this state is because of the diagnosis 299, which is considered a, you know, mental illness diagnosis, it's very hard for pediatricians and the Medicaid providers to track if children with autism are being screened appropriately according to EPSDT federal law and getting the medical treatment for, say, a seizure disorder or gastrointestinal disorder or immune deficiency, which all three really affect a lot of our children. Now, how would a parent initiate insurance legislation for autism in their state? Let's start with Pennsylvania. Jim? Well, in Pennsylvania, uh, it it started by uh, parents opening their mouths and, and uh, educating their uh, their legislators that uh, th that this was a that exclusion exclusions for coverage uh, of for autism treatments was commonplace by Pennsylvania insurers, uh, and then uh, being in the right place at the right time and, and uh, talking to the right people. Uh, the I, I think the first thing that that, that a parent should do uh, if they're very interested in, in pursuing this in their state is to find uh, the right legislator to sponsor the bill. Uh, it, it's, it, it's critical that uh, that your champion be somebody who's going to uh, who's going to stick with this and, and make this a make this a priority because insurance mandate uh, insurance mandate legislation requires a tremendous amount of effort. Uh, and uh, tend to be pretty controversial, uh, uh, and uh, we run into uh, much opposition from the insurance industry and from the business lobbyists. Uh, so, so the, the the starting point I think is to identify the the, the right legislator to approach uh, reg uh, regarding uh, 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 sponsorship of the bill. Okay, you mentioned the word champion, and, and let's give kudos. Who was the champion in Pennsylvania in the legislature? Uh, that, that would have been uh, Speaker of the House, Dennis O'Brien. Okay. Uh, actually, I really, uh, you're saying the first step is to identify the, the legislator, but I really like the uh, other first step you identified, uh, so succinctly and eloquently put. It started by parents opening their mouths. <laughs> So what were the biggest arguments that you came up against in Pennsylvania, Jim? You mentioned lobbyists and such. Right. The, the, the first, uh, now, now this differs from state to state. In Pennsylvania, uh, the legislators were uh, most concerned about the immediate uh, impact that this legislation would have on private insurance rates. 
we, we heard very early on from the insurance lobbyists that this could impact rates anywhere from 6 to 11%. Uh, the business lobbyists were saying it could impact rates anywhere from 4 to 8%. Uh, now, we did not have any actuaries uh, early in the process, uh, and uh, we, at first we didn't know how to, how to counter these arguments. We were able to later on. Uh, but in Pennsylvania, we found that that uh, the the legislators were uh, were not very receptive to the notion that if you provide these services now, you're going to save uh, millions and millions of dollars in the future. Uh, other states, like Louisiana, for example, uh, were 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 less concerned about the immediate impact on rates and very very concerned about the long term impact. Uh, so that that's something to be mindful of. Okay. So you did some cost analyses and had a pretty comprehensive assessment written up as to the need. Kent, you tell us about how that fit into working towards the legislation? Sure. Uh, in, in Pennsylvania, we had a, a, a comprehensive mandate review process, uh, and uh, proponents and opponents of the bill uh, were uh, asked to submit testimony uh, to the Pennsylvania Health Care Cost Containment Council uh, in support or in opposition of the bill and, and detailing why. Uh, we uh, provided uh, an abundance of, the, the proponents uh, provided an abundance of, of, of literature, uh, of testimony, uh, anecdotal uh, stories, parents sent letters in, uh, but we were getting toward the end of the submission process and uh, we, we realized that nobody had uh, looked at uh, doing an actuarial analysis. Uh, so I uh, sat back three days before the submittal was due, and I, I thought, well, what, what information would I need in order to be able to calculate this? Uh, and I thought, well, if I know how many children there are with autism who have insurance, and I know roughly how much each child uh, will use, uh, and if I know how much uh, in premium revenue was collected by insurance companies, uh, I, I can figure out what the percentage impact on rates would be. And, and when I was able to find all of the data that I needed and pull it into the formula, uh, I, I discovered that the rate impact was less than one-half of 1%. Wow. And in fact, uh, by playing around with some of the numbers, I was able to determine that uh, the 4%, the 6%, the 8%, the 11% that we had been hearing from the insurance companies and the business lobby uh, were simply mathematically impossible. Wow. Uh, there, there was no way that, that these numbers that they were putting forth could... There, there were not enough children with autism living in Pennsylvania uh, in order to command those types of rate impacts. Hmm. And you had, there was this big, huge report from North Carolina or, or some such a group in North Carolina worked on it? Yes, uh, the, uh, the, the end result of the mandate review process in, in Pennsylvania, which stretched about uh, eight or nine months, was, a, uh, was the appointment of an independent panel of experts comprised of uh, economists from Harvard, uh, insurance uh, actuary experts, and uh, autism experts from North Carolina who reviewed all of the evidence that was submitted by, by all parties uh, to the Cost Containment Council uh, and generated a report based on their review of the evidence. Uh, and for the first time in 20 years of Pennsylvania, an independent panel came back with uh, w with a uh, report that, that was strongly in favor of uh, of the proposed mandate, finding it to be not only 
uh, necessary but also cost-effective. Excellent. More on this when we come back to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com if you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Welcome back. Well, Jim, before we went on break, I believe that you were talking about a report that was facilitated by the cost containment unit in Pennsylvania. Um, do you happen to have the name of that report and where people could reference it on the web? Uh, yes. The, the name of the report is Autism Spectrum Disorders uh, Mandated Benefits Review Panel Report Evidence Submitted Concerning Pennsylvania HB 1150. Uh, a, a copy of that report can be found on the Pennsylvania Healthcare Cost Containment Council's website at www.phc4.org. Okay. Now, Jim, what do you think? If insurance legislation um, was not to be enacted in a particular state. What would be the cost for autism services per individual over a period of years, over their lifespan? Do you have any idea about that? 
Well, there have been a few studies done on, on the lifetime costs of, of treating autism if left untreated. Uh, the, the most recent study I'm aware of was completed by Michael Gans, uh, a, a Harvard economist, uh, who incidentally was one of the panelists on the Healthcare Cost Containment Council report. Uh, he found that, that the cost of failing to treat autism uh, on society uh, would be approximately $3.2 million per, uh, per person. Wow. And how much does the family of the individual usually end up picking up? That's, that's, that's difficult to, mem- uh, to measure. I, I think in, in purchasing services, uh, many of us hear that you can spend as much as 20000 30000 40000 upwards to $100,000 a year to access ABA services. Uh, there, are, there are other uh, uh, treatments uh, out there that are also very costly. The parents generally have to dig deep in their pockets, mortgage their homes. Uh, it, you know, one of the parents might have to take second jobs to pay. Uh, the, the, the other uh, piece of it is that families, particularly families who have children who are more severely affected, uh, cannot possibly hold down two jobs. So you have a, a loss of productivity by at least one of the parents, uh, usually both, if, if both parents are working actively either to advocate or to, to provide services uh, or treatment services to the child. Excellent point. And, uh, yeah, the way I've thought of it is that the gulf becomes doubly wide because you lose one of the incomes plus you have all of the um, additional expenses. Um, and naturally you want to do these things to help your child. So the gulf becomes doubly wide. Um, financially, uh, you mentioned Michael Gans is from Harvard, and, and I um, have a, a friend uh, who has a teenage son uh, and is very involved in, in advocacy and helping him biomedically and educationally. And mm-hmm. said that the amount of money that their family spent out of pocket could have, you know, actually sent that child to Harvard um, by that point. That's right. Um, so, Jim, how will your analysis be used in other states as well? Well, the, the the method has been used. Um, I, I provided analyses as a volunteer uh, to Louisiana, uh, Florida, uh, Missouri, and Oklahoma, and recently to West Virginia. Uh, I'm I'm not sure how it'll be used in other states. Uh, that the, the method is out there, uh, and uh, anybody who wants to uh, who wants to use it uh, can can do so with the peace of mind that that. Approach is consistent with actuarial standards, mm-hmm. uh, so it's a reliable approach, uh, a reliable cost model. Uh, parents in other states, they might want to hire an actuary and somebody who has the right letters behind their name. Uh, sometimes that, that, sometimes as I believe it was tr- the case in Arizona, it was required to get an actuarial analysis of the of the legislation. Uh, That's correct. So, Cynthia, how did that work in Arizona? Well, luckily, we had a parent um, that was affected who was able to do that work for us at no cost to us. Mm -hmm. So we were very lucky that way because that would have been quite expensive. Um, We would not have had the resources to pay for that. So we were very, very lucky that we had someone willing to donate services. Cynthia, do you kind of suspect that sometimes um, the people who oppose positive measures for our kids are counting on the fact that parents don't have the resources for advocacy or the time? I, I think there are some people that, uh, that that's true for. 
I found in our situation that most of the the senators and representatives that I spoke with really didn't understand the battles that we face. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that they were purposely working against us. I just think they they were extremely uneducated. Mm. I always find it kind of ironic that parents who should be able to, you know, spend time doing therapy with their kids, um, you know, and using their financial resources to help move their kids forward on the road to recovery, end up having to pay out of pocket and do all the advocacy that one would hope that agencies would be doing on behalf of the kids. Um, So let's move back to Pennsylvania for a moment. Um, Jim, what did the Pennsylvania bill cover and not cover, and and are there limits? Uh, Yes, uh, the the bill covers, uh, specifically covers applied behavior analysis therapy, speech therapy, uh, occupational therapy, uh, and uh, pharmacy care. Uh, the um, the original version of the bill had a provision in it that uh, the uh, the Department of Public Welfare in Pennsylvania, uh, upon review of available evidence on new treatment, would would have the authority to uh, add uh, to the to the list of coverage. That provision uh, didn't make it through uh, into Act 62, which is what House Bill 1150 uh, became. Uh, but, but currently, the, the bill does uh, you know, simply covers the, the services that uh, that were listed: the traditional services of ABA, uh, speech therapy, occupational therapy, pharmacy care. So, the possibility for coverage for biomedical is kind of written out. Is that what you said? Well, I, I think that it, it's it, the, the challenge with adding biomedical interventions to uh, to the bill uh, is, I think, dependent upon. Uh, Researchers, I think researchers need to step to the plate uh, and, and produce uh, some uh, some strong evidence that that advocates can uh, take to the legislature. To uh, it, it will involve an amendment of uh, of the of the autism law in Pennsylvania in order to add uh, that coverage. And in Pennsylvania, the challenge is that these proposals will be reviewed by a panel of experts, and without researchers providing us with uh, with strong evidence, it's going to be difficult for advocates to to get these uh, additional services added uh, to the law. Well, um, I think there is a lot of research out there, um, and I would um, strongly encourage anyone who's interested in hearing it, um, call me up. Let's see about uh, getting you to the uh, Autism One Conference next year in May to hear uh, so much research that could be helpful with this. Uh, and also... Um, I, I think it's important to have funding for additional biomedical research um, that will help the kids, both on a practical level, helping them with um, any distress or um, lack of functionality that they face, uh, as well as these issues like uh, getting insurance to cover these things. Cynthia, what do you think? I absolutely agree, and I know that luckily in Arizona, um, we can come back and, and change that because we left the language in that said if we could prove medical necessity, then they would have to provide treatment for anything, any evidence-based treatments. So there was no exclusion in our bill, um, which is great because hopefully in the next few years we will have the research to go back and force the insurance companies to cover some of the, some of the things that are so helpful for our children to get better. 
Right, and so many children are recovering, have recovered, and your son Mark is one, and we're going to be talking about him soon. And children are recovering through a combination of um, appropriate biomedical treatments and uh, educational and adjunct therapy. So let's talk about the Arizona bill now. You were, Cynthia, you were one of eight moms who worked on the Arizona insurance legislation. Tell us how that was initiated and the process and timeline. Well, actually, one of the mothers had written letters to every single senator, and one senator showed an interest, and she began meeting with that senator last July. Um, The grassroots effort started in November when we heard that they were actually going to present a bill. At that time, the way the bill was written, a lot of the grassroots organizations were unhappy with the language and um, were interested in pursuing language that mirrored the Pennsylvania bill. And um, so we began negotiating and changing the language. We were able to do that. And in in January, it was presented um, on the Senate floor. Uh, I think one of the things that I learned through the process when I was lobbying a lot of the senators um, were that they 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 would have presented this bill many years earlier if anybody had brought it to their attention. Uh, That goes back to Jim's step one of it started by parents opening their mouths. Right. Right. There were several that were like, why didn't you come to us? I would have championed this. And so, um, you know, I I hope that parents in other states will hear that and act on that because I found that there were quite a few people who, who wanted to see this change come about, and they weren't just Democrats or Republicans. It was across the board. So who are the champion legislators in Arizona? For us, the, the initial uh, champion was um, Senator Aguirre, um, but I have to say the Speaker of the House was the person who got the bill done. And we needed that to happen because Senator Aguirre was a Democrat and we did not have a strong Democratic um, Senate, and so the bill wasn't going to carry through the House in, the, in Arizona. So we were very lucky that a Republican in the House was willing to champion the bill as well. And that was Senator, uh, that was Representative Kopernicki. And so we did mirror bills, which means that the bill had the same language in the Senate and the House. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in that way, the Speaker of the House, once he put his name behind it and said he wanted it to pass, it did. And so we were very lucky. We were able to start the process and finish it within four months. Wow. Doesn't it seem to you, uh, Jim and Cynthia, that these types of issues of helping kids shouldn't be based on, party lines shouldn't have anything to do with it? Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that as well. And And we found that to be true. Okay. So, Cynthia, what were the biggest arguments that you came up against in Arizona and how did you address them? Oh, we'll talk about that when we come back. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, and we'll be back at the Voice America Health and Wellness channel in about two minutes. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. 
More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back talking with. Jim Bowder and Cynthia McCluskey about insurance legislation for autism. And before we went to break, I was asking Cynthia what the biggest arguments were that she came up against in Arizona and how those were addressed. Well, I think the first uh, and the most powerful argument was that nobody wanted to vote for a mandate. They, a lot of the Republicans um, had run on the fact that they would not pass any mandates. And so what we, what we tried to explain to them was that this was not a mandate, this was an update to policies, and that autism wasn't treatable, or people didn't believe that it was treatable years ago, and so the insurance companies just needed to go back and revisit those policies and update them to bring them up to what the research is now saying. The other, uh, the other argument we made was that this was a market failure, that normally in a free market you can go out and buy insurance, but no family can buy insurance that will cover autism. Wow, Cynthia. So that was a biggie. And those two arguments were very, very successful. Wow. And, Jim, I know that um, you and I were talking about the arguments that you came up against in Pennsylvania, and I know that you wanted to add something to that. Yes. uh, We we really did want uh, the uh, services covered uh, to be flexible enough to uh, allow for uh, new treatment methods uh, as as evidence uh, mounted supporting their their efficacy. 
Uh, and uh, I, I think that there's a, a strong commitment among the, the families, the grassroots in Pennsylvania, to make sure that as, as, research, uh, as research mounts supporting other interventions, such as the biomedical interventions, uh, that, that we can go back and, and, uh, and push. Uh, we don't want any barriers to services uh, that, that are uh, likely to help our kids get better. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, unfortunately, in legislation, you, you, uh, you're sometimes faced with uh, what ought to be done versus what can be done. Uh, and uh, the, uh, unfortunately, the terrain in, in, in most legislatures these days is unless you have a, uh, enough research that satisfies the insurance companies on evidence-based coverage policies, uh, you're going to have a very hard time uh, getting those services covered. Right. I, I find the wording cost containment kind of telling. Um, yeah, what parents see their children helped by may be viewed differently by people, other people who are actually holding purses. Is that kind of like something you're saying here? Well, I think so. As, as parents, many of us have attended rights law conferences, special education law conferences, and we're kind of conditioned uh, to, uh, to argue a Cost shouldn't be an excuse, and uh, in the insurance mandate world, it's it's polar opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the cost is everything, mm-hmm. uh, and you know whether it's long-term cost or short-term cost, that's what the legislator legislature is com- concerned about, and uh, they want to make sure that insurance rates aren't going to spike because of this. I, I don't necessarily think that biomedical interventions or would would spike the cost of insurance any more than ABA services would. Uh, I, I, I think we were able to demonstrate in Pennsylvania and other states is that the cost of covering autism is negligible. So, but for both, a question for both of you, now that um, this legislation is passed in both of your states, do you find that there's a difference between getting legislation passed and implemented? Absolutely. We're, I think our insurance, our insurance companies came to the table and are really interested in implementing and excited about it. And we found that some of our some of our agencies providing care are less excited about impl- implementation and accepting insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you do about that? Well, <laughs> I think one of the things we're doing is trying to find a good ABA programs to come to the state, to this state and set up, um, like CARD or um, Boston ABA, and uh, bring good programs that will accept insurance. And force the others to come to the table. Okay, and Jim, what about you? Pennsylvania is a little bit different. Uh, in Pennsylvania, we have a Medicaid system that does provide uh, coverage for certain behavioral health services uh, to children with autism. Uh, we have providers who uh, had been billing uh, the state Medicaid uh, for for services that will now uh, be billing private insurance companies as the primary and Medicaid as a secondary insurance coverage. So we do have providers. The, the challenge in the future for Pennsylvania, I think, is is uh, is taking a, a state system that isn't very well tailored for the needs of children with autism uh, and developing uh, innovative uh, new programs that are, that are more carefully tailored to our kids' needs. Cynthia, you're working on something in Arizona. You are on the advisory board of it. Is it 
your state's Medicaid provider, and, and you're actually working on biomarkers for pediatricians to, for referral to specialists? Exactly. I've, I've been frustrated in, the late, in my eight-year journey at the lack of medical care that our children get and the fact that most pediatricians don't understand the comorbid factors of autism and therefore are not screening or treating, and parents are forced to pay out of pocket for, for things as simple as a scope and um, which could run about $7,000. So uh, the Parent Advisory Board is putting together uh, a, a fact sheet, basically, that lists symptoms of each possible disorder, um, signs and tests, and when to refer out to a specialist. And we're going to try to do a pilot program where three different large pediatric uh, offices use this and can screen all children with autism to ensure that every comorbid factor is being treated appropriately. And this is actually required by federal law. EPSDT requires that um, Medicaid screen and ameliorate all um, medical issues, and autism is the only diagnosis that makes that almost impossible because it's considered a mental illness diagnosis. So the medical system can't track how many children they have in their system that have autism. And so that's how our kids are falling through the cracks. The crack. So we really need to fix that system. So in general, not only in Arizona, but really worldwide, would you say that if a child considered neurotypical walked into a doctor's office with constipation or diarrhea, gastroenterologist's office, that they would be treated, but a child with autism would be sent on his way? I think that's absolutely true, and that also includes children with seizure disorder because most uh, most neurologists are only doing a two-hour EEG, and really for our children, they need a minimum of a 24-hour EEG. Right. Also immune deficiency. There could be up to 40% of our children have immune dysfunction, and they're not being screened for that. And this is nationwide. This is not just the state of Arizona. This is a national problem. Probably a worldwide problem. And, and Jim, how do you feel about that? I I agree. I I think that once the child has an autism diagnosis, sometimes that's the the only thing that that, uh, providers will see. Uh, I've I've talked to to parents who have discovered uh, later on that not only does their child have autism, but they also have a learning disability like dyslexia, uh, which completely missed, but made it very difficult for the child to succeed in, in the education environment. Uh, yeah, the comorbidity, comorbidity in autism, uh, there have been some recent studies showing how, how, how frequently uh, other disorders are, are present uh, alongside uh, autism. Uh, and yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree entirely with Cynthia. Yeah, I don't recall ever seeing a paper uh, a scientific study of di- uh, diarrhea as a behavioral disorder. Maybe it's out there. <laughs> I, I don't know. But, right. yeah, um, a child, hearing that, uh, oh, that's just the gastrointestinal issues are just part and parcel of autism is, seems ridiculous to me. And then upon endoscopy, um, so many children are found to have significant gastrointestinal pathology. Um, and... So their their medical condition, their physiological condition is legitimate. And also when you give them appropriate biomedical intervention 
and you see that their distress is relieved and their function is improved, even in an educational setting, it just emphasizes the legitimacy of biomedical intervention and, you know, the mercy of it um, and respecting the child, respecting the person uh, as a whole. Does it seem to both of you like there are any discrimination issues involved in here with children trying to get treatment for their legitimate physiological issues? I'm finding on our project that that's one of our biggest problems, and we have some really great doctors who are working on our um, committee to try to educate physicians and write um, protocols and um, put together studies to support what we're saying. And I don't think that we've been able to establish why that discrimination is there. Um, possibly it's just because autism was never considered treatable, and so nobody bothers to look. I'm not sure. Well, Cynthia, your son Mark was developing normally until 14 months old, and he did he regress? He did. He was uh, he was talking at 14 months, and by 16 months he he didn't have any more language, and uh, by 18 months it it seemed as if he didn't understand anything that we were saying to him. So it was it was pretty quick onset. What do you think caused this? I think that we had a, a family genetic problem, probably, that was exasperated by vaccinations. He was perfectly healthy at 14 months, and then he had nine vaccines in one day. And, oh, my. And from that point on, he was very, very ill, and within a month, he was in the hospital. Um, for unknown reasons, they could never find out what was really happening. He was there four days. So for, for our family, we definitely relate it back to, to the vaccines. So you took some action that included ABA homeschooling diet and making your home toxin-free. I did. I did. Uh, we originally put Mark into a preschool program, and we realized that that was just a complete waste of his time. And so we brought him home, and we did 40 hours of ABA therapy in our house, which I think was you know, one of the better decisions we made. At the same time, however, we did the diet. We were gluten casing soy free and that was huge for my son and he made huge improvements within one year he stopped head banging started talking so i think that that helped we also started b12 shots when he was five and a half when they when they first were coming out and that was another huge um, boost for him that's methocobalamin and b12 yes. mm-hmm. and uh for uh, for our family i think it's unique my husband was pretty adamantly against the B12 injection. But then he saw it help. But then he saw it did. Okay, and more on this when we come back. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health & Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on 
the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten, and Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymedica.com. JackLavane.com presents Jack Lavane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Each week, Jack is joined by Elaine Lavane and his nephew, bodybuilder, kinesiologist, and personal trainer, Chris Lavane, to answer your questions and help you overcome your fitness roadblocks. That's three times the diet and fitness know-how, three times the entertainment. Tune in every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific to Jack Lavane Live on the Voice America Health and Wellness Radio Network. Hypnosis, what a completely misunderstood word. There are all kinds of myths and superstitions surrounding the concept of hypnosis. The truth is that it can be used safely in practices of health and wellness. Join consulting hypnotist Jennifer Van Wee for the program Hypnosis for Positive Life Changes and learn how to experience relaxation to enhance your ability to cope with stress and other complicated issues. Hypnosis for Positive Life Changes airs Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. Welcome back. And before we went on break, we were talking with Cynthia about how methyl B12 helped Mark. Yes, um, we started it, we did it for a month, and I thought I saw great results, and my husband uh, did not. So we stopped for a month, and then we realized that he was stuttering and wetting the bed again. So we started again for a month, and the stuttering and the bed wetting went away, and so then we knew that it was a treatment that was going to really work for us. And that was one of the biggies for our family. Yep, challenge, re-challenge. And and what about glutathione and supplements? Glutathione, we did IV glutathione, and the first time that we did that... uh, that, that night I cried because he played with his peers completely typically and in a way that he had never done before. So, again, that was that was something that really worked for us. And the supplements? We continue supplements, essential fatty acids, and uh, several other things, including some homeopathy, and we found that to be very effective for him. Okay. So Mark was diagnosed at two and a half, and he lost his diagnosis at eight years old, and he's 10 now. Correct. And it's so wonderful, Cynthia, that you continue to be involved helping others in the autism community. So please share with our listeners what Mark's role was at the insurance proceedings. Well, first of all, I didn't actually want to be involved in this process. It was really my son who insisted that we get involved and stay involved. And uh, for every day that I was down at the Senate or the House lobbying, my son was by my side helping. And he developed a relationship with the Speaker of the House. Um, they became friends. And I think that it was through that relationship and allowing other people to see what a child can, how far a child can come that really got people on our side. When we uh, testified in the State Senate uh, Health Committee, which we were not supposed to uh, pass out of, I testified, and then my son testified, 
And at the end of that, every every person was in tears, and we got a unanimous vote out of the out, out of the health committee. So it was huge. He really made a difference in how people perceived autism. Absolutely, you know, I think that the kids are the best science. There, there was a mom who was trying to um, get some legislation passed for something, and um, the opposition was kept saying science, 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 and uh, you know they didn't. They wanted more, more peer-reviewed science or some such, and she finally, in exasperation, said, "You know, who needs the science? I've got the kid. You know, right, exactly. So here's the kid. He's recovered. He's declassified. Um, but of course, we know that there is science to back up what we're doing, and we do everything. Uh, we do our homework. We do research, due diligence, and proceed safely and cautiously. So there is science, but the, you know, the naysayers will." Or, or people who are, you know, really tightly controlling purse strings will want to keep putting up roadblocks. So, but I think that all these recovered kids are a really great testimony to how helping kids is the most um, I think, uh, humane thing, merciful thing, and economical thing to do. Absolutely. Always the, the most important thing is um, providing as you know, safe, functional, healthy as life as possible to the child and helping the child and family, you know, I think economics comes after those considerations, but that's not an opinion shared by everybody. (laughs) So um, a woman named Karen told me that she went to an event and it was Mark handing out the tickets and she was just amazed by him. Yes, that's true. He was. He he actively volunteers in all the autism charities that I do, and um, he's the person who's pushing me to keep forward. And he keeps. I keep saying I want to be done, and he says there's more kids, mommy, who need us. And so he just recently wrote his own federal bill. Wow! <laughs> that he wants to pass the legislation that we passed in the state federally because he. It breaks his heart knowing that the kids are not getting the treatment that they deserve. Well, so, so Jim, what do you think about bringing Mark over to Pennsylvania? I think, I think that would be fabulous. I'd like to introduce him to Donovan. Okay. And, and uh, I wanted to ask you another question about Mark, Cynthia. What are the various activities that he's involved in now with or without his peers? And, oh, yeah, and there was this fantastic thing he said, um, I think, in front of the legislature about fixing cancer and et cetera? Well, that's right. He actually designed buttons, and he passed out buttons to all the senators and, and representatives. And, and the one thing that he kept saying to every single one of them that would listen to him is, how come you'll treat a child with cancer but you won't treat a child with autism? And is that fair? Touche. And, you know, they couldn't come up with an answer to that because it's, it's, it's so, you know, perfectly put. Uh, and as far as his activities, well, he has lots of friends. He has a, a book club, a robotics club. Um, he has um, boys that he builds forts with, and uh, he's at his, you know, fifth grade level for math and fourth grade level for everything else, which is exactly where he's supposed to be. And he's just uh, as we couldn't have hoped for anything um, this great, and, and I hope that people can look to him and see that there is always hope and that, you know, you need to always keep pursuing treatment. Absolutely. And, Jim, your son Donovan has also moved forward with ABA, and I'd like you to please share with our listeners how that's helped him and how that was instrumental in your starting a school, the VISTA School, of which you are Chief Operating Officer in Pennsylvania. Yes. Uh, Donovan was diagnosed late. We had a very difficult time uh, getting an evaluator to tell us what was going on with our son, who, who 
couldn't speak and was four four years old. We finally received a diagnosis when he was four and a half, and we were able to uh, start our children in an a, start Donovan in an ABA program. Uh, and within within days, uh, he used the picture exchange communication system to begin uh, communicating his his wants to us. Uh, and uh, a few months later, uh, he began to speak. Uh, he's been making uh, steady progress over the years, and uh, I, I can't take credit for founding the Vista School. I, I did help uh, the the architect of the program get it started, and I, I do oversee the business functions here. Uh, but Donovan was one of the first four students to attend the Vista School, lo- located here in Hershey, and we have 54 kids now, uh, and routinely graduate uh, children who uh, return to their home school districts and are succeeding there as well. Uh, so our experience with ABA was very positive. Uh, Donovan went from a child who wasn't able to communicate, who was severe food selectivity, uh, to to a child who prefers uh, fresh bell peppers to uh, M and M's now, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and can tell us what he's thinking about. Excellent, excellent. And uh, for those listeners whose children have challenges with eating, I know that the card program. Uh, has um, a person, Kate Gutschel, a therapist who works especially with feeding disorders. Have you heard of uh, have that, Jim? I, I haven't. We we went to uh, Hershey Medical Center here in Central Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a, a gentleman, Keith Williams, who mm-hmm. uh, was trained, I believe, at Kennedy Creeker, uh, and uh, used applied behavior analysis uh, to, uh, uh, to to help with Donovan's food selectivity, uh, and uh, he also assisted us with getting our home ABA program off the ground. We, we like many parents, didn't have uh, pockets deep enough to, to uh, afford a, a therapist, and this gentleman volunteered his time to, to get us started down that road. Okay. So ABA helped, and I know for other children, too, um, if, if they're having feeding issues, it's uh, important to look into any gastrointestinal pathology uh, and um, also any sensory issues. These are also things that have greatly helped children. Well, I think we have about two minutes left. So, um, Cynthia, I'd like to ask you about ACT today. Oh, thank you. I am a board member of ACT today, and we raise funds to provide grants to parents for treatment of their children in the state of Arizona. And uh, we just were able to give away $8,000 yesterday to parents. And we, we give money away to any kind of treatment that, um, you know, from biomedical to uh, um, oversight services for ABA therapy to kids' camps. Okay. And is there a website for that? There is, but I can't tell you what it is. I'm sorry. Okay. So if anyone <laughs> would like to... Uh, get further information on that, please email me at tiaranga at autism1.org. Cynthia and Jim, thank you for working for gaining resources for the kids and for sharing the how-tos with our listeners here today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank, thank you, our sponsor, Medica, And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.